If you have your Bible or you have your technology device, your iPhone, your iPad, your Android, whatever it is, I want to invite you to turn open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We've been in a series together for the last few weeks, and we're continuing on today. But here's the, here's the journey for me. I, I was uh, 14 years of age. I just answered a call to full-time ministry in my life, and I went to the country of France to be a summer youth missionary and while I was there, every week uh, that I was there, we had to study and memorize Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13. And as a young Christian, these chapters became the most transformative change agent in my life. I was memorizing them because I had to. I, didn't, I had no idea that what they were doing in having all these young people memorize these scriptures. They were planting seed, good, good seed, down deep in our souls. Now, we're in a series called True Spirituality. And we've been talking about what it means to be truly alive in Christ. You know, true, true spirituality, when it all comes down to it, it's really nothing more or nothing less than Jesus living his life through us, than us giving ourselves to him to ask him, Lord, would you use me as you would do in the world? And it's, it's all about relationships. I've told you that over and over again, right? Now, we've specifically through Romans 12, Romans 12 walks us through five different relationships that you ought to know how to operate in those relationships if you're going to be a true Christ follower. Now, remember that first week I told you what the world needs most really are Christians who actually act like Christians, that actually know how to operate. So you remember we talked about Romans chapter 1 where, where Paul said, I, I beg you, I, I plead with you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That was that vertical relationship with God. And we said, how are we supposed to live with God? What does God want most from us? He wants us to live in a surrendered place so he can live through us, all right? And he wants us to surrender, not just daily, but all during the day so that then he can be living his life through us. We're surrendering in our workplace, in our family. We're just living a life of surrender. That's how to get God, his, his spirit working through you. That second relationship was, was with the world. Remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, Paul said these words. He said, listen, uh, do not be conformed to the world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when it comes to the world, we talked about being separate from the world, looking different than the world, not fitting to the world's mold. And, and what we're supposed to do is look different. We're supposed to be transformed. Remember we talked about morphing? Remember, we're going to morph. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, last week we talked about that third relationship. And that's the relationship with yourself. And I hope you were here with us. If you missed last week, remember, you can go to our website or you can go to iTunes and you can follow right along with us anytime you miss a part of our series. But last week we talked about self. And you remember what, what Paul said in that Romans 12, 3 and beyond over to 12, 8. Paul said, listen, when it comes to you, don't think more highly than you ought to, but think of yourself with sober judgment. So he wants us to not have a drunk view of ourselves. Remember, that's what we studied last week. Not too high, not too low. He wants to have an accurate view of ourselves because when we have an accurate view of ourselves, then we can figure out what God's called us to do because he made us that way, right? Now, I want you to hold that because today we're moving into that fourth relationship, right? We're going to talk today about how we react, how we live, how we, how we uh, ha have a relationship with other believers, okay? And by the way, don't miss next week, because next week we're going to talk about how we're supposed to live with unbelievers. But today, we're going to talk about what it means to live with other believers. Now, before I dive into the Word, I just want to real quickly tell you my story. When I look back on my, my walk with God, 
I always track it back to the people that I walk with God with. Now, when I was a young boy, I grew up in a church, but really did not receive Christ until I got to about um, the age of 11 through a confirmation class in my church. But my first group that really became transformative in my walk with God was my youth group, my youth group in my local church. Now, it happened to be led by my brother, which is kind of weird. You know, your brother is your youth pastor. But, but that youth group was where we were just real with one another. We, we talked about our, our issues. We talked about our problems. We talked about the issues that were facing us in our schools. And it really became a place where I was, I was growing. I was moving. I was, I was really seeing a lot of depth in my own soul. And, and, and during that time, I received a call of God over my life uh, to be in full-time ministry. Now, fast forward a little bit. I went off the University of Georgia to college, and I go back and I think about, man, there's two things going on there. I experienced one of the deepest, driest, dark moments of my own soul at Georgia, but at the same time, then I saw God bring me a group of people on the campus of the University of Georgia that came alongside me. I was a freshman. I was a lowly freshman. They were seniors, and, and they began to really love on me. We began to do Bible studies together. I, be, I, I, I came out of a desert place and into a place of fullness. I can track across my life, and every time I've gotten to a place of stuckness, um, the only way I got out of my stuckness was by getting with God's people. It wasn't do more Bible study on my part, because listen, I know how to do Bible studies. I had plenty of education about that. It wasn't by praying more, you know, and just pressing through. Normally, my, my ability to get beyond my stuckness, was always ha- it always had something to do with getting with God's people. They motivated me. They, they encouraged me. They helped me. I, I helped them, and, and it was just a, a good place. And here's what I want to tell you. And, well, actually, why don't I just pose a question to you? Have you ever thought about this? Why do Christians sometimes get stuck? You know, as a pastor, I meet people all the time, and they'll tell me about their stuckness, you know. They'll tell me, listen, I, I was walking with God, and I, I've, I've been walking with God. I became a Christian here or there, and they'll tell me about what they do and their practices, and some of them practice spiritual disciplines. But almost always the case is, and I bet, it, I bet everybody in the room could say this, we've been here before, Christians can get to a place where they hit a ceiling, all right? I'll just call it that. They stall, all right? And they get to a place where they're stuck, and they don't know how to get beyond that place. They have a hunger. They're good people. They're honest people. They want to not be stuck, but they don't know how to move from their ceiling to get beyond their ceiling. And that's what I want to talk to you about today because, guys, God's given us each other, and he wants, he want us, he wants us to help each other beyond our stuckness, okay? So write this down. First thing I want to share with you. Um, it's kind of a concept, okay? It's a concept for how we move beyond our stuckness or how we understand sometimes why we get stuck. And the first thing I want you to write is, is a simple thing. Good seed planted in good soil still cannot produce, it cannot grow in the wrong environment. Now, you remember the, the parable Jesus taught about the, the farmer, right? The farmer who went out and sowed seed. He was talking about our Heavenly Father, how he planted the word. I, mean, it is, I put that little thing there in your outline. Maybe you'd write right above the word, good, the, the, the good seed or the greatest seed. That's God's word. God's word is good seed in our lives. And in that parable of the, the sower, that, that image of the soil is the human heart, right? And right above that, maybe you'd write, that's a, that's a good, honest heart. A good person, a good, honest person, God's word in a very good, honest person 
even, even those two things together, they cannot grow if they don't have the right environment, if they're in the wrong environment. What is the wrong environment, Stephen? That the wrong environment is a place of soloness, uh, loneliness, uh, isolation, you all by yourself. Or, how about this one? Not only that, when you're actually in a, in a place where people are pulling you down, pulling you down, inviting you to go the wrong way, they're not encouraging you towards God, they're pulling you away from God, the greatest seed in the greatest soil cannot grow unless it's got the right ecosystem, the right environment. And one of the things I figured out from my life is that's, that's what I look back and I think, man, I saw growth when I was in the right environment, when I got around the right people, when I, when I was journeying with them and they were journeying with me and we were, we were pushing each other to live like God. So, so get this picture for a minute. God wants you to grow, Right? And I don't believe God wants us to stay stuck or to be at our ceiling and go, God, I want more of you, but I don't know how to get there. I believe what God really wants is he wants us to experience what I would call authentic community. As a matter of fact, I put it in the title of my sermon today, authentic community. Now, let's think about this. If that's my story, I just gave you a little bit of my story. What about your story? Can you track back over your spiritual growth? And when you think about the moments where you grew the most, can you normally think of a group of people who helped you grow? Can you think of some people who came alongside you? It might have been family members. It might have been your church. It might have been a little small Bible study. Can you think of people who came alongside you? It might have been just a mentor, somebody who helped you grow. What does authentic community look like? You know, we go back to the Bible. Jesus was about to give his life, John chapter 15, and he said, guys, listen, listen, what we've experienced here, he's talking to his disciples, you know, that little small group that they were, he said, what we've experienced here, I want this to go now to other people. And he, he said, this is going to impact the world. They had experienced authentic community with Jesus, and it transformed them, able to really go out and transform the world. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 4. The people of God were with each other. They were experiencing authentic community. The church is exploding, but they're being real with one another. They're worshiping together. They're eating together. They're, they're, they're studying God's word together, and they are being transformed in that early part of the church. God's plan for you and me is the, the ecosystem is community, authentic, godly community where we're pushing and challenging each other to be more in Christ together. Now, real quickly, I'm not talking about small groups, okay? And just in case you think I'm talking about small groups today, listen, we have small groups at this church. I think small groups are awesome. It's one of the places that we try to encourage community to really happen. Every Sunday night, I'm, I'm normally with a small group up in the Eagles Landing area. But you know like I know, just because you get in a small group doesn't mean you're going to experience authentic community, all right? Just because you get in a small group, every small group is not really being real with each other. They're not really being uh, together, challenging each other to be all they can be. Authentic community can happen in a small group, but it doesn't necessarily happen in, in an environment like that every time. So here's the question. I put it right there. Two big questions. What is authentic community, and how do I get it? If you're sitting here this morning, you kind of feel like you hit the ceiling, you're kind of stuck, or you've been spinning your wheels and your spiritual faith, and you're not getting traction, I want you to have ears that are wide open, spiritual ears wide open this morning, because God's Word answers for us those two questions. What is authentic community, and how are we supposed to get it? Romans chapter 12 
tells us about how we're supposed to live with other believers and how that can help us move deeper in our relationship with God. If you have your pen, I want to talk to you about authentic community and how and what it looks like, the characteristics of it. And we're going to just take this scripture verse by verse this morning, okay? Authentic community happens or occurs when. Go ahead and fill that in. The real you. The real you, not a projection of you. Not a projection of yourself. Remember last week we talked about what the self looks like and how sometimes people put holograms out there. They do image management. They don't really want to tell who they are. They don't, they're afraid to say, this is me, because that you might reject that, and that's kind of ugly, and I, I have bad thoughts, and I do bad things, and I don't want you to really see the real me. We put a hologram out there sometimes, you know. We only show you what we think you, we, we want to show you. Now, what I'm telling you is from the very beginning, let's kind of go back to last week. Authentic community starts with the real you. Not a projection of you. It starts with the real you coming to say, this is me, warts and all. I'm God's child, but I want to go deeper in God. And I know, by the way, that you've got your own warts. So let's together challenge each other to grow to God, grow close to God. Romans 12, watch this. Romans 12, 9. Uh, Paul said these words, wrote these words. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil cling to what is good. He's talking about how we're supposed to be operating with one another. And, and, and by the way, every one of these, these four things that I'm going to challenge you towards getting a picture of authentic community, I'm going to ask you to write two words in the margin. I didn't put them in your outline. just want you to write two words in the margin. And under this one, when we talk about the real you, not a projection of you, I want you to write two words. The first word is this, authenticity. And the second word is this, purity. Write those two things in the margin. What would it look like for me, the real me, to be as authentic as I could be, and to seek purity in, in the context of relationships with other believers. What would that look like? So start with uh, Romans 12, verse 9, the first words. Love must be sincere. Sincere. I've shared with you guys before where that, root, where that word comes from. I hope you remember those kind of things. Sinceros, S-I-N without. Seros is a Latin word for wax, okay? And back in the old day, back in, back in the day where they used to uh, break pottery and try to fix pottery, they didn't have super glue, so they would take wax, okay? And they, when the pottery was broken, they'd put wax in it. They'd, they'd mend all the cracks. They'd put all the pottery back together, but they would have to label it based on the law. The law said they had to show whether it was original or whether it was being been broken or being fake or they were ripping people off. And so if you picked up a piece of pottery and it said, sinceros, that means without wax, you would know it's original, never been broken before, okay? You would know it was the real deal. That's where we get that word sinceros. Now, what Paul is really saying, he's, he's saying, hey, don't be fake. He's saying, don't be fake. If you really want to get the real you, love has got to be real, not, not a, a, a mask, not a... a not a, not, not a projection, not a hologram. If you're going to really experience community, love has got to be sinceros. It's got to be real. It's got to be the authentic deal. All right? He's given us a picture of what it means to be, you know, just authentic in who we are. By the way, I just want to brag on our church for a minute in this area. I think it's okay when I brag towards what God has done because this is a work of God. God has... God has blessed our church with a level of authenticity that is, that is a blessing. 
Uh, we, we, we try to live, uh, we, as a matter of fact, we wrote it into our leadership values around here. We want to live what you see is what you get lives. No, no wearing masks, no, uh, no playing games, no, no, no hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a big word. word. And, and by the way, I think that's what Paul's hitting here. When he says love's got to be sincere, he's saying don't fake it and don't be a hypocrite with it. Don't act like you love somebody and not really love them. Why don't, love has got to be the real deal. That's when people are going to see it, and it's going to change them. Love must be sincere. Now, I'm going to just run a real quick rabbit trail. Remember a few weeks ago, I think it was actually probably maybe two or three months ago, I preached to you out of Acts chapter 5. And you might even want to write Acts chapter 5 in the notes right there. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 5? The church is booming. The church is birthing. And, and some folks, they, they're being touched by God so much in their soul, they start giving stuff to the church because people have needs. And they don't know how to meet the needs, but they got stuff. And they think their stuff can meet the needs, right? And they are sincere. They're, they're good-hearted. They are they're, they're loved. Love is very real. Their love is authentic. And they start giving stuff away. And along comes this guy named Ananias. And he sees how these folks are giving stuff away. And he's got some land. And he sees that when they're, he sees what they're doing, man, maybe he wanted the pats on the back that they were getting. Maybe he wanted to kind of get in on it. But he wasn't really doing it with a good heart. So what he did was he sold his land. And then he kept back a portion for himself. And he gave the rest of it away. But he lied. Remember that story? Remember me teaching on this a few months? He lied, and he said, well, this is the whole thing. He wasn't sinceros. He wasn't authentic. He wasn't real. He lied. He was a hypocrite. He gave a portion of it, and he said, this is the whole thing. Meet the needs of the body with this. And you remember the whole story, right? I don't have time to dive into it again. But Peter calls him up, and the, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter about this thing. He knows the guy's lying. He knows the guy's not real. He knows the guy's not authentic. He knows he's doing it to get his own strokes. He calls him up and he says, is this the real deal? And the guy says, yes. And on that moment, he dies. He dies because he's lied. And, and remember his wife, Sapphira? She gets called in too, you know. And I know Peter's heart must have been, oh, I hope you ain't with him. I hope you, I hope you ain't going to cover him, you know. And she comes in and he says, now listen, was that, 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 that gift y'all gave, was that the full amount of what you sold it for? Because that's what you said. And she says, oh, yeah, just like he said it, that was the full deal. And she falls dead. And all of a sudden, fear, this makes sense, right? Fear swept through, the, swept through everybody that was there. They knew that. Now, here's the deal. What was God doing? God was making a point. Because the early church was birthing and booming. And if hypocrisy got into this thing from the very beginning, if lies got into it from the very beginning, God wanted to put a stop to it early. And God said, he was basically saying what Paul was saying in Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse 9. He was saying, that's not the way we're going to do things here. All right? It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. It's got to be truthful. Love must be sincere. That's where we start. You want an authentic community? You got to strip away all the, all the masks. You got to say, okay, it starts with this, the real me. I need to be sincere. All right? Now, look at that next part. I ask you to write, write not just write the word um, there about um, authenticity. I invite you to write the word purity. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I remember as a, uh, as a 14-year-old, when I first memorized this, we were having to memorize the King James, and the word was abhor, abhor evil. I remember, I'll never forget thinking to myself, I don't even know what that word means, abhor. I had to go look it up in the dictionary. Abhor 
evil. And literally what the word means is hate it. I mean, it's, 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 it's actually a bad picture. It's like hate it so much that you want to throw up over it, okay? That's the picture of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. He's given us a picture of how we're supposed to live. Now, guys, can I just tell you as a pastor, I've, I, I, and I've been here before, I, I understand it. I've been talking to folks before, and they come to me because I'm their pastor, and they want to ask me questions about helping them clarify what they've read in the Bible. So they'll come to me and ask me questions about, you know, okay. Let me give you a few examples. Pastor, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to tithe, but am I supposed to tithe off the, the gross or the net, or does it really mean tithe? I mean, that's a 10%, right? And they start asking me these questions, right, because they want to figure out where the line is, okay? Where is the line? And I'm going to I'm going to get as close as I can. I want to be blessed, okay? I'm going to get as close as I can to the line, but can I do it off my net instead of my gross? Can I go back this way just a little bit here? And they'll ask me those kind of questions about tithing, okay? I get this. It may not seem like it, but it's the same question. I get the same question about dating relationships. Hey, pastor, me and my girlfriend, we have gone this far. But how far can we go? I mean, where does it really say that we can only go so far in, in the physicality or the sexuality? Of it? How far? And they want to know where the line is. Are, are you, am I just telling the truth or what? You know I get these questions, right? Some of you guys have asked me these questions, right? Where's the line? And I want to get right up to it. And, and I may look over, but I won't put my foot down. Tell me, Pastor, where is it, you know? Tell me where it is. And people do this with money, they do it with things, they do it with relationships, they want to know. Now, here's what, I, here's what I think Paul is saying. Get this. Paul is saying, oh, that is so a wrong heart for what that thing is. Paul is saying, listen, if you really want to bring, if you want to get the first step, which is the real you, you've got to understand what purity is all about. And purity isn't about finding the line and getting and snuggling up as close to the line as you can. That's called sin management. Have you ever thought about something called sin management? Oh, uh, God, help me be good. I'll, I'll, uh, help me keep my sins in line, and I'll, I'll only do it up till this point. And sin management is not what God is about, and it's not what Paul is saying do. Paul is saying figure out what evil looks like and hate it so much that you want to throw up whenever you get close to it. It's not like I'm going to snuggle up to this line. That's not what Paul's saying. He says, get over here and cling to what's good. Love what is good and hate all that stuff so that you are trying so much to be after God. You get that picture? Don't leave Romans 12, 9 until you see what I'm talking about here. It starts with the real you, the authentic you. Love must be sincere. What would happen if the real you showed up? All right? Let's get real for a minute. What would happen if you said, you know what, I don't want to be stuck. I want to grow deeper in God. What would happen if the real you showed up and you said, you know what, I'm not going to play games, I'm not going to wear a mask, I'm going to be the real me. And what would happen if you said, and you know what, this is so big to me, I'm not going to be playing these games anymore with these lines. I'm going to go after God with a purity of heart, a purity of soul. I'm going to try to, I am going to see God do great works in my life. If you got serious about that, you would start seeing radical transformation. Because God is not about your sin management. He's about transformation. He is always interested in your transformation. He is not interested in your sin management. He is interested in seeing you transform. And it all starts with the real you. What is, the, what is authentic community? How do I get it? It starts with the real you. And then look at this one. It moves to the real you who is trying to meet real 
needs. The real you meeting real needs, not superficial needs, but real, real needs. And in your margin, just write a couple of words there. I told you I was going to get you to write two words, right, in the margin of each one of these. Write the words uh, devotion and write the words humility, all right? Now, what we're going to be talking about here is I'm trying to really get the real me, but now I'm going to start interacting with you. So how am I going to, how am I going to do for you? I'm going to serve. I am going to, I am going to meet needs in your life and trust that God's going to meet mine. And, and two words, devotion, right? Devotion and humility. In Romans 12, 10, it says this, be devoted to one another. By the way, if you got your pen, just underline those words, one another. Did you know that more than 50 times in the New Testament, God says one another, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another? He will say, encourage one another, serve one another, love one another. He says it over and over and over again. And by the way, if you are running the Christian race and there isn't a lot of other one another's around you, you can't run it well and you can't even obey the New Testament because the Bible says you're supposed to be doing this thing with one another, right? This is how we do things, right? And right here, you know what he's saying? Watch this. He's saying, I'm supposed to be, Megan Gray, I'm supposed to be devoted to you. And you're supposed to be devoted to me. That's weird. That's good, though, okay? All right. Now, we'll get back to that in a minute. What's that mean? But be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. So I ask you to write the word devotion, right? What's, what's Paul saying here? He's saying when it comes down to the real needs, how, how we're supposed to be operating, I am supposed to be so devoted to you that it's like family. You might want to write that down. It's like family. It's not like you, I met you at church. It's not like you sit on the third row and I sit on the eighth row. It's not like we go to, you know, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. It's like I'm a brother and you're a brother, or I'm a sister and, you're, and we're family. Now, think through that lens for a minute, okay? In your family, if your brother or your sister or your mama or your, or your daughter or your son had a need, you'd take it seriously, wouldn't you? But here's what happens. When we play games in church, when we don't really get this, somebody says, here's my need. This is what I got going on. And you know what we say? Oh, man, I will pray for you. Now, they might have a financial need, and they might need serious finances, money with people's faces on it. And we look at them and say, well, I will pray for you. And we got, we got bank accounts just like they got. We got money just like they got. Well, see, even what if God won't meet my need? See, you wouldn't ask that question so much if it was your son or your daughter. If it was your son or daughter, you trust God was going to meet your needs, and you'd, you'd give to them because that's the way you do it. That's your son or your daughter. And if it was your mama and she had need, you'd pull money out of your pocket and give it to her, right? Because that's the way we operate in our families. But what Paul is saying is, Here's the picture of what Christianity is supposed to look like. You are supposed to be devoted to me like I am really a brother. And I'm supposed to be devoted to you like you are that way as well. So much so that if you have a need and if, if it's time or if it's things or if it's money, whatever it is, I'm listening for your needs and you should be listening to my needs. And together we ought to be meeting one another's needs. Are you tracking with me? See, 
Authentic community won't happen if the real you doesn't show up. That's just playing games. That's hypocrisy. It's, not, it's certainly not authenticity, and it's not people trying to be pure and go after God. But, it, but it's more than just the real you. It is the real you after the real needs of other people, trying to find out what their needs are and serving one another in devotion the way that God said it's supposed to look like. Now, Stephen, that's risky. Yeah, it's risky. But it's the picture of what they were doing in Acts 2 and Acts 4 when the church exploded. It's risky. Why is it risky? Because you're having to trust. Oh, if I give this time away, God, you're going to bless me. If I, if I give this, this stuff away, you're going to give me stuff. If I, if I give my money away, you're going to give me money. You're going to look after my needs. It's risky. But this is the way the family of God is supposed to live with one another. And then it says this. Look at this. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, what he's saying there is give preference to somebody else, all right? He's saying, listen, it ain't all about you. You need to look at them, and you need to have a heart of compassion for them, and you need to honor them or give preference to them above you. Now, that's a hard thing, right? Especially for Americans, but it is, it's, it's been hard for anybody who ever read that to give honor to one another above yourself. It says you're lifting them up, that you are, you're holding them up above you, and you're looking after their needs more so than your own. Have you ever thought about this? Whenever you come to church, you've always got two lenses on. Whenever you walk into a small group, you always got two lenses on. Whenever you sit around the table with your family, you always got two lenses you're looking through. One lens says, I hope somebody cares about me here. I hope somebody wants to know more about me. One lens says, I know my needs. I wish that you would care about my needs. One lens says, help me. Help me as I try to do this thing called life. The other lens should always be saying, hey, I want to know what your needs are. I want to see how I can help you. One's an inward focus. One's an outward focus. One says, hey, I'm real. I'm not perfect. Here's who I am. I hope you care. The other lens says, hey, we're not in this thing alone. I want to honor you. What are your needs? Now, what if it, in the church, as brothers and sisters, what if we were so real where we actually communicated to each other what our real needs are? Then other people could meet them. Do you know that most people, they come to church and they put the hologram forward And they won't even tell somebody they have a need. People will come to church. They'll walk back out of church, get in their car, and the only person they will have told their need to is God when they got the brother or sister sitting right next to them that God put next to them that morning to help meet their need. But they never communicated what their need is. So this is kind of a two-way street, right? It means that we are trying to be devoted as family members. New concept maybe for some people in this room, right? So devoted to one another. They're like our daughter or our son or our mother. They're family members. And then not only devotion, we're supposed to be humble. God, by the way, God blesses humility, right? We're supposed to be humble, giving preference to other people so that we can serve them in their needs. Now watch this. Authentic community, how does it happen? First of all, it won't happen if the real you doesn't show up. If it's a fake you, if it's not authentic, it's not going to happen, okay? But the second thing is you've got to go after real needs, You've got to seek after people's real needs, not superficial needs, not brushing them off, but really being devoted. Now, look at the next step, all right? The real you meeting real needs. Look at this one. 
for the right reasons, for the right reasons, you might want to fill in your little blank there, not to please people, for the right reasons, and I'm going to get you to write a couple of things in your margin here, okay? So first bullet point, write the word zeal. Write the word zeal. Second bullet point, write the word audience, the words audience of one, okay? Let's dive into this a little bit for the right reasons. In, in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 11, Paul wrote these words. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's one simple verse, right? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If I were to underline three things, I'd underline the word zeal, I'd underline the word fervor, and I'd underline the word Lord. Let's talk about that for a minute, okay? Serving, the, we're talking about the real you, meeting real needs, not superficial needs, but now for, for all the right reasons. Have you ever thought about that word zeal, by the way? Zeal. I want to talk about that for a minute. What is zeal? And when do you ever read the word zeal other than in the Bible? Have you ever noticed that it seems like in our vocabulary we don't even use the word zeal anymore? But you read it in the Bible over and over again, the zeal, the zeal, the zeal. And normally, by the way, it's not associated with people like you and me. It normally, it's not. I mean, the psalmist might say, hey, be zealous for God. But normally, whenever we read the word zeal in the Bible, it's normally talking about God. God, you remember, uh, for example, in, in the Annunciation, when Mary was told that she was going to have a baby, and, and the baby wasn't going to have a dad, but the Holy Spirit was going to be the dad. And the, and the angel is speaking over her and saying, the Messiah will be born through you, and the last words are, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, all right? What is that? The zeal, right? That's cool. The zeal of God. It's the picture of the, the, the fervency, the power, the strength, the, the energy of God to do a good work. Now, watch this, guys. Closest thing in our, in our language, the, the, the word that's in vogue now, that's closest thing to zeal that I can think of is the word passion. That word passion. Don't you hear that word all the time? I mean, you got to have passion for this. I think about a coach standing in front of a football team trying to increase their passion for the win. Passion for what you do. Passion for the people in your life. Passion for life. I mean, my passion is up. My passion is down. Where is your passion? That word is a word that is hugely in vogue. But have you ever noticed that you don't find that word in the Bible? The word is zeal in the Bible. wonder why. And here's the simple answer. The word passion can be all about you feeling a good way right now. It's all about feelings. You having a lot of good feelings, and you could, passion can be really high. You can have all the motivation in the world, all the in, intentions in the world. You can have great passion, and then you can lose your passion. You know, you can lose your motivation. It's all about your feelings, okay? Zeal is so much more than that, all right? Zeal is not about being high and being low. That's not what zeal is. Zeal is not about... Your, your feelings, zeal is the power, the intensity. And, 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 and what Paul is saying right here is never lose it. Never lose your power and your intensity, your hunger for God. Never use your, your energy to see God do a good work in life. Stay in that place where zeal is your life. Never be lacking in zeal. Stephen, how do I do that? Let's get, we'll get to that in a minute. But real quickly, I got a question for you, all right? Real quick, pop Chris. I want to see how many people in the room. Uh, I'm do a little study. Do you remember that time where you're in a small group or maybe in a Sunday school class or maybe you're just in church or in the lobby getting your cup of coffee 
And, and, and tell me, I want you to raise your hand if anybody's ever said this to you. Has anybody ever come up to you and, in, in, at church or at work or Bible study, no matter, and have they ever said, let's see how many people this is, how, anybody ever come up to you and said, hey, I want you to pray for me. I, I'm, I'm just struggling right now with laziness. I'm lazy. Ra- raise your hand if that's you. Y'all have had people come up to you and say that they're lazy? Okay. Two, three, four, five of us. Now, what's interesting is why don't all of us have people come up and say, I'm lazy. I need somebody to help me. Why? Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that no American thinks they're lazy? Have you ever noticed this? We think the lazy person is the person who sits in front of their computer screen all day, and they do Facebook all day, and they go play their video games, you know, and they don't do the laundry. And that—that that, that ain't us. We're not lazy. That ain't us. I'm not lazy. You're not. I, I'm not lazy, and none of us think we're lazy. Now, here's what I'm getting at, guys. Did you know the biblical definition of laziness? Here's what laziness is. Laziness is not doing the right thing when you know the right thing needs to be done. The biblical definition is of laziness is not doing the right thing when you know the right thing needs to be done. Now, here is the, here's, the, here's the thing. I'm putting two words side by side for a minute. Zeal and laziness. And if we were really real, sometimes when it comes to our spiritual lives, sometimes when it comes to our walk with God, which one are we more like? We would say, you know what? If there's a reason I've lost my zeal, it's because I've been spiritually lazy. I haven't done the things I needed to do that I was called to do. And what Paul is saying, watch this, is he's saying, never be in that place. Take laziness and and hate it when it comes to your spirit life. Stay zealous for God. Stay on fire for God, always doing what you need to know, what you need to do, what is the right thing for you to do. Keep your zealousness for God. Keep it high. Keep your RPMs pegged when it comes to God. That's what he's saying we're supposed to be doing in this, in this way we live with each other. We're never to be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual, notice that word, fervor. Now, that word fervor in the Greek actually comes from the image of a pot that's boiling, all right? And all of us know this, right? You know what it looks like for a pot to put over heat, right? And what happens to that water? The water starts moving at first, right? Then a few little small bubbles, then all of a sudden a few rolls, and then before long, that thing is humming and boiling, right? And what do you do? What do you do if you want to keep it boiling? Well, you just keep it right there over the thing. It'll start jumping out of the pot, right? That's, that's, it's the picture of fervor right there. Always keep your, your, your heat. Now, what would happen if I took that pot and just took it off the stove? What's going to happen? Help me out. It's going to cool off. It's just going to, it's, it's going to stop boiling. That's exactly right. And the idea is, how could you, in your spirit life, always keep the heat on? Always keep the heat on so you keep the boil going in your life. And what he's saying there is, this is not something we do by ourselves. We need to make sure that we are always zealous, not lacking in zeal, and keeping our spiritual boil, keeping our spiritual fervor. And then there's the word serving the Lord. Now, I ask you to write two things down, remember? I ask you to write the word first, zeal, and then I ask you to write the word audience of one. Now, the right, uh, the real you can be serving very 
real needs and, and doing it for all the wrong reasons, and you're not going to experience community. What are the right reasons? And what I ask you to write there is very important, that you understand that whenever you serve somebody else, you're not doing it for you. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for God. You're serving them for the Lord. I just want to throw myself under the bus here for a minute, all right? This past week. Now, by the way, I am, I am very blessed. I, I draw a salary every month, every year to do full-time ministry for God. You guys bless me not only to be your pastor, but to be a pastor to a lot of people beyond this church. That's a wonderful thing. And I'd like to tell you that no matter who you are, um, everybody always, when they serve, they're always doing it for the audience of one, right? They're only doing it for one person. They're doing it for God. But the truth of the matter is, no matter where you go, no matter who you are, there's going to be this human side to you that forgets that, okay? And you forget it, and you start, you, you do it for strokes, or you do it for yourself, or you do it for somebody else applaud you. This past week, case in point, I, I, I showed up uh, to church one morning, and I happened to walk through our front lobby, and our PALS uh, group, uh, our, our preschool program, which is booming and just seeing a lot of growth right now, our PALS group had held an event here. I think it was Grandparent Day or something, right? And they had been in the lobby, and they had had a grand moment, right? But they had left the lobby a mess, right? There was grapes on the floor. There was graham crackers. There was stuff everywhere, right? And they were gone. And I thought to myself, somebody needs to clean this up, you know? And I thought that somebody was me. I thought, I'll serve them, right? I'll serve them. And so I started taking down tables, started putting up chairs, started putting up tablecloths, started picking up grapes off the floor, you know, and, and, and I, started, I took out the broom, I started sweeping the, room, sweeping the room. I'm sweeping the room, I'm serving, right? I'm serving. And this thought comes to me that can't be a good thought, right? You ought not be doing this. Somebody else should have done this. They should have cleaned up behind themselves. You'd have thought the same stuff. Don't look at me that way. All right? They should have cleaned up behind themselves and this and that. And I'm, I'm sweeping. I'm thinking. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, I'd love to tell you it's for all the right reasons I'm sweeping the floor, right? And then the, then the sweet spirit of God says, who are you sweeping the floor for? I thought, well, my first answer, I'm doing it for them, God. I'm trying to serve them. I'm doing it for them. And then God said, why don't you do it for me? Get this one. Then he said this, why don't you sweep this floor so good that it's so good you did it just like you were doing it for me? You know, it was just a, I'm just kind of bringing you in a little moment where I had to realize that I was doing a ministry, a little act of service, a very small, little peanutsy ounce of service, but I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to do it because we just want to be good people, you know. We want God, we want to get strokes with God, or we want somebody to pass on the back. And it's in that moment that we need to remember, why are you doing this? For an audience of one. It only matters that you're doing it for one, one. And, and Paul says it so well. He says, keep your spiritual fervor, uh, keep your spiritual, spiritual zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor always serving them, always serving your family, always serving you, always serving the Lord. You want authentic community, guys? This is what it looks like. The real you, not a fake you, not a hologram you, the real you, seeking after purity in your own heart to try to be authentic. 
The real you shows up and tries to meet other people's needs. And, and have your own needs met as well. But you're trying to meet other real needs. Not made up needs, not superficial needs, not excusive, oh, I'm praying for you. No, real needs. You're trying to meet other needs. But look at this. For all the right reasons, because your energy is high and your zeal is high to do, to do good things for God. And you want to do it for Him. Not for somebody else, not for your strokes, not for somebody pat you on the back, not for your own ego. Not so that God will love you more. You just want to do it because when you do it to them, remember what Jesus said? You've done it to me. Remember that? When you do it to them, you've done it to me. So serving the Lord. Man, we've got to remember that here at this church, guys. So those of you who get up here and play these instruments on a Sunday morning, you're not serving these people. You're playing for an audience of one. You are serving him. So keep your spiritual fervor high and serve him. If you show up to our church here and you're in leadership and you're, you're on the finance team, you know, and, and you help oversee faithfully the things that God gives to us, praise God for that. But you're not doing this because Pastor Stephen wants you to do this and well, I've been entrusted to be in leadership here and I'm going to do it for the church. It's an audience of one. It's the same thing. I'm doing this for him. I'm going to serve the way he called me to serve with my zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor always serving the Lord. You want real, real authentic community? You want to move beyond your stuck place? It's the real you. Not fake. Authentic. Pure. The real you meeting real needs for all the right reasons. And look at this last one. Write this one down. Fill in the blank there. In the right way. In the right way. Not on your strength. Not on your strength. Now this is the acid test right here of what it means to really experience authentic community. Because God's got to be involved with his people. And he wants to be involved in this, his, with his children, right? This is brothers and sisters trying to experience life together the way brothers and sisters in Christ were meant. And now God wants to be there in their midst. And he wants their strength to show up in their midst. Look what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 12 and 13. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Oh, by the way, in your margin, write down two things there real quickly. Write, write bullet point number one, upward focus. And then bullet point number two, outward focus, all right? That's what we're talking about here. Not on your strength, but in the right way, seeing God's strength show up. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now, what he's saying here is there's going to be a time where you're going to grow hopeless. You might even get stuck again. But guess what? You have hope and you have joy knowing that you're giving yourself to brothers and sisters in Christ and in the process, he is going to do a good work and you don't give up. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. What he's saying is you keep on going, you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you keep on serving brothers and sisters in Christ and you just see if God won't win the day. Don't, don't, don't quit because you get tired. Don't quit because you get frustrated. Don't quit because, or don't slow down because you, you know, you need to look at yourself and look after your own needs for a little while. What he's really saying is, listen, listen, in those moments where you get tired, you keep pressing on, you keep serving God's other children. Cause why? Because he's going to do a good work. You do it on his strength in those moments, not on your strength. And I like this one. He says, be faithful in prayer. 
I'm going tonight to go see War Room. How many of you have seen War Room? Just raise your hand. All right. A, a, a few of us, from what I hear, and I don't take this lightly. My father-in-law, Julie's daddy, told me that this is the best Christian movie he's ever seen. I would strongly encourage you this week or next week, go see War Room. I'm going tonight because I've heard it's phenomenal. Now, here's the deal with War Room, and here's why it's striking a chord. Here's why it's number one in the nation, the movie War Room. Some people don't even know what War Room, the movie's about. It's about prayer, right? It's about prayer. Now, what, what this is striking a chord on is the power that comes when we pray. Paul says right here, faithful in prayer. What he's saying is don't quit praying. Don't quit praying. You're stuck, and you're trying to bring the real you with real needs, doing it for all the right reasons, but you cannot quit here even when you get tired. You've got to keep giving it your all with, with God's strength. Be faithful in prayer. You pray on through it. And what he's really saying here is, listen, if you're doing it on your strength, then you're basically doing it, you're dependent only on you. You need to do it on the strength of God. You need to be praying, praying, praying. Here, here's, here's what happens. Watch this. When we don't pray, I want you to think about this for a minute. Give you an image, okay? When we don't pray, it's as if we are saying to the one who flung the stars in space, the one who can control all things, who sees all things, who knows all things, it's almost as if we're saying to him, okay, God, I got this one. You just take a break here. You can do take care of the rest of the world. I got this one over here, okay? You can do that with your day. You can do that with a conversation, a business decision. You can do that with any number of things. But when you don't pray, you're basically saying, hey, God, I'm big enough to handle this one. You just take a break. I'll take care of it. And you're, you're going to do it on your own strength, and you're probably going to fail at it miserably. But what happens when we pray? When we pray, we are tapping into God's supernatural resources. So you don't do it on your own strength. And then look at this one. Here's the upward focus, right? The upward focus that says, I'm not going to quit, God. I'm going to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, fervent in my prayer. I will be faithful in my prayer. I will not quit praying. I'm going to keep moving, God. That's how you get it past the stuck point, right? And then that's the upward focus. Now look at the outward focus. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need. (laughs) Now that's God's people, right? So if God's people have a need, you need to be sharing with them, okay? Look at the next one. Practice hospitality. He's saying two different things there. He's saying with the first one, if God's people have a need, I got you sitting right there. You're supposed to share with them, okay? Hey, real quickly, just mental image. Those of you who are mamas and daddies, do you remember when your children were right there next to each other and one wanted something the other one had? And one, 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 mine, mine, mine. And one of them didn't want to share with the other one. But do you remember those moments, those rare moments sometimes it seems like, when your children would share, not because you told them to, but because they loved each other? (laughs) You remember that? How cool is it? Don't you think it blesses the heart of God when God's children share with one another and look after the needs of one another? And what God is saying right here in this, for, with, with, not on your own strength, but what he's saying is look after one another's needs. Take care of one, God's people, his children. Look after their needs. So he's not, he's, it's not about you. Look after somebody else's outward focus. But then he says it's beyond that. He says practice hospitality. Literally, the idea here is pursue strangers. Pursue strangers, people who you don't even know. And practice hospitality in their midst. Do for them. Find out what their needs are and try to do for them. It's this picture of you having stuff and being willing to share your stuff. Having time 
and not being so busy that you're not willing to share your time, having money and saying, you know what? God's blessed me. I am one of the richest people on the planet. I bet I can bless somebody else. And then looking for God's children who are in need or looking beyond God's children to people that you don't even know, strangers, and practicing hospitality in their midst, pursuing them, practicing hospitality. So let me close this down for a minute. How do I get unstuck? I hope you're learning a lesson today that you can hold on to the rest of your life. Because I've found these moments over and over again in my life where I kind of got stuck. And then I'd see a breakthrough. I get stuck. I get a breakthrough. I get stuck. I get a breakthrough. Listen, how do you get unstuck? Let me go back to that first image. Good seed. Wrong word. Great seed. God's word, right? Great seed. Put in a good and honest heart, right? That's the soil. Great soil. It won't bear fruit in the wrong environment. It won't, it won't come out. But you know what will happen? When great seed is in a great heart and it's in the right environment, we've just positioned ourselves to be in a place of transformation. And here's what I want to throw your way. Doesn't the world need to see Christians, people who call themselves Christ, doesn't the world need to see them authentic and real, watch this, authentic and real, meeting real needs, not playing games, for all the right reasons, not because they're going to get strokes, but doing it for God and, and, and bragging about God and doing it on the strength of God. Can you see how people who are not in the faith would look at that and go, wow, I want to be in that family. I want to be a part of that. Those outside of Christ will notice it when we are serving one another in love that way. So you're surrendered to God. You're learning how to live that way every day. You're trying to be separate from the world, not conform to it, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're trying to have a sober assessment of yourself so you know what God puts you on the planet to do, not too high and too low. And how about this one? When it comes to other brothers and sisters, you're serving one another in love for all the right reasons. And in so doing, you'll see your needs are met. I think this is how God's family is supposed to work. May it be so with Harvest Point. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you called us to be brothers and sisters. And we want to confess that it's real easy sometimes to play games and wear masks and not be real. It's, it's easy sometimes just to come to church, God, and maybe not even tell somebody else our need. But I pray, God, you'd help our church grow in this thing here. I pray that you'd help us be filled with relationships that are authentic and real, helping us serve one another, not so that we'd get strokes, so that, God, we'd be doing it for you, and that we'd be able to do it not on our strength, God, but through your strength, and that, Lord, together we were, we were loving on one another, serving one another, and then we were even serving beyond these walls. Lord, you have blessed us to be a blessing. So, Lord, let this word dwell in us this week. I pray this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it comes back to us over and over again. The real me, meeting real needs. God, give us eyes to see real needs and help us do it for all the right reasons and all the right ways. You're good to us, God. I pray that you do this in us, grow us. And Lord, for that quiet soul here this morning who has, has said that prayer, God, I don't want to be stuck anymore. Help them get in, plugged in here at Harvest Point with God's children. And I pray transformation over their life. I pray for depth and growth and harvest. I pray for fruit that lasts. 
And I pray for their zeal to be strong. May this be happening in all of our lives, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can you say amen, church? Hey, hey, God, hey, you can give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's our good, good father, right? Hey, have a great week. Hey, homework assignment, go see War Room. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.